Anyhow, I hope everyone's been doing well. Um, no one getting heat strokes, right? And yeah, the, the heat is increasing, and so that's good. We're all safe together. Uh, but without further ado, let's get on with the message for this afternoon. So join me in, in prayer as we pray. Um, church doesn't seem as bad when it's just about you. I want to explain this, okay? When I think about Christian growth, right, I often think about all the things that I need to do. Right? There's a lot that we can do individually, true? Right? Like, read your Bible. Spend time in prayer. You know, work on your character. You know, work on avoiding sin and temptation. Right? There are plenty of things to do in our individual lives to accomplish the command to love the Lord our God with all our mind, heart, soul, and strength. See, what makes Christianity a little bit more difficult, I want to say, is when this element of community comes in, when the element of the other, right? Because sometimes it's hard enough to even take care of ourselves, and yet we have commands that follow the first. When Jesus says, here's the second, just as important as the first, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, that's confusing because you have questions about, well, what, what does it mean to love your neighbor? What does it mean? How far can I go? How much is appropriate? How much is not? I don't know what the gradient exactly looks like. And I think a lot of this comes up because we have trouble even figuring out our own lives with the Lord, let alone now figuring out how to do that together. But what I see in the plan of God is that community is something that's always been on his heart from the beginning. Even in God himself, the idea of community comes and it arises and it stems from the personhood of God. We call it the Trinity. God who exists entirely as one, yet as three, yet as one. And one of the great mysteries is that he is both one and three all at the same time, Father, Son, and Spirit, yet God. And so community is then the expression of God through us, his church, and his people. When I think about community, when I think about the purpose of it, one thing I know is for sure is this, is that God is trying to tell us, God is trying to tell me, that I can't do life on my own, by myself. I am a being. We are beings who are in need of love. Commitment. See, but I don't always like admitting that. We don't always like admitting that because to say that we need anything implies that we lack something. And to say that we lack something actually exposes within us weakness, inability. And I think sometimes this is the dichotomy that we face because when we're working on our own lives and our own individual personal spirituality, it's all about how can I become strong, strong, strong in the Lord. And yet when we recognize our need for community and one another, it's glaringly obvious that we are asking the question of where in the weakness, weakness, weakness of myself can we as a community fill that for one another. So you see, we've been going through this series in Galatians, and we've talked a lot about things like legalism, things like what it means to actually consider your neighbor, to consider your community, to consider what it means to live free in front of God. And now as we come to a close, we're in Galatians 6 at the end of the road here, Paul begins to involve what the gospel means, not only theologically in terms of our standing before God individually, but he begins to now explore that in community. And as we come to Galatians chapter 6, Paul makes a very big and serious point that part of the role of the community is to bear one another's burdens. Everyone say burdens. Right? 
oh, it just feels burdensome to say burden, right? But the role of the community is to bear one another's burdens as we have heard and seen in the text today. And so friends, I want us to explore that. See, because the gospel isn't something that is just meant to be known, but it's always meant to be experienced. There's nothing about God when he reveals himself to us where we sit back and go, whoa, that was good. Right? Sometimes in church, we like doing that. Ooh, that's good. Mm, oh, that word. Mm, that word, right? But sometimes we don't take that word far enough to let it now seep into the reality of what we do here together, to bear one another's burdens. As we go over a few verses in Galatians chapter 6 today, I just want to address three needs. What are the three needs that we need to have as we bear one another's burdens? The exhortation is clear, but what we need to carry as we bear one another's burdens, I think that's the topic that Paul wants to expose for us to explore today in the text. So if you guys have your Bibles with you, turn back to Galatians chapter 6. And as you guys are on your way there, I want to continue to give context for the book of Galatians, the epistle to the Galatians. You see, Paul is addressing a church, again, that was infiltrated by these false teachers, these Judaizers who claimed apostleship, who claimed teachings from the apostles back in Jerusalem. And they went into the community saying, you know, your faith deal, your faith in Jesus for salvation is nice, but do you really think that's all you need to be saved? And so they began to introduce these rules, these new structures, right? You can't eat with those who are unclean. You can't eat the unclean things that those unclean people eat. And in fact, if you really want to be spiritual, and if you really want to be set apart, if you're a male in the house, you got to make sure that you go, pew, pew. you're circumcised, right? In essence, what these Judaizers came and saying is, it's not enough to declare faith in Christ. You need to show for it. Now, we've explored these topics, right? Yes, there is an element where works and these things do come in, but never as the basis of our, of our salvation, only the proof of it. Whereas these Judaizers were coming in saying, it's not only the proof, but it's actually the basis of your salvation. And so today, we're going to close this series talking about bearing one another's burdens. How do we bear one another's burdens freely in a culture of freedom, not in a culture of do's and don'ts and of legalism and structural tendencies as such, but how do we do that in a free community where Jesus is Lord and has bought us by his blood? So the three needs, okay, three needs today. Y'all guys at Galatians 6? That was enough painting context, right? All right, three things, okay, three needs that we're going to address today. And the first one is this, okay? Paul addresses how when you are on your way to bearing one another, another's burdens, you need to be gentle. Everyone say, gentle. Gentle. I love that, right? Where do we get this from? Okay, let's start in verse 1 of chapter 6. This is what Paul writes. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Now, Paul begins with a very specific example of one way that you carry one another's burdens. And it's specifically in the area of when you encounter a brother or a sister in sin. He says, if anyone is caught in any transgression. Now, I love the way that Paul says that, right? Because it, the, the fact of the matter is we are always transgressing, right? We are always sinning. Even when we try our best not to, and again, God looks upon our faithfulness, not our perfection. He looks at our trajectory, not where we are every step of the way. Right? But 
the fact of the matter is sometimes there are transgressions that we are able with God to un unravel and unfold and walk with him in. And yet there are also, also moments when we are, I love that, caught in it. What that phrase implies is that there are moments when we as a community actually need to step in to bear one another's burdens in the sense where we have to help untangle a fellow brother or sister from the mess that they are in. He continues on by saying this, you who are spiritual. Now, when he says you who are spiritual, right, it's not the way that we talk about spirituality, right? We go, ooh, that brother's spiritual, right? Ooh, that sister, ooh, she's spiritual. And we're like, whoa, like she's holy, right? That's not what Paul is trying to say. He's not just talking about outward standing and outward look. But when he says you who are spiritual, he's borrowing the same language that he continued with last, uh, two weeks ago when we talked about in Galatians chapter 5, when he says walk by the Spirit. Those who walk by the Spirit, those who are walking with the Lord, if that is you, he says, restore that brother or sister in a spirit of gentleness. Now, that word for restore is also a cool word, right? I mean, it's our theme for the year. But to restore, as Paul brings up and as Jesus thinks, means that you are putting a broken bone back into place. You ever broke a bone before? I've never broken a bone. Okay. I'm not an active man, you know, I, I like to act active, <laughs> but I don't consider myself like an outdoors man, you know, so when brothers are together, they're like, we're going to go camping, right? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just enough to slide myself in socially, right? I don't consider myself active, but I think back to the closest I came to breaking a bone was when I was back in eighth grade, we had like the summer school where like, you know, you would gather with the middle school students in the same district, and like you would get together, and like that was when like break dancing was in, okay? So like, you guys don't know this, but I know this, so I'm gonna expose my weakness, you know, my, 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 my little shame spots a little bit, okay? When I was younger, like in eighth grade, and even younger, I, I was a little bit more, um, I was happy in my weight, let's just put it that way, okay? So, you know, like all my athletic friends, they're cool. They're getting all the girls and stuff like that. And like me too. I'm like, me, what about me, right? So, you know, there's like a little breakdancing crew. And I was like, I want to learn how to breakdance. <laughs> so they're trying to teach me, right? Yeah, this is how you like do windmill. These like dudes are doing windmill. And I'm like, dude, like I'm too happy, you know, to windmill and stuff. And they're like, okay, then we'll teach you this, this move. It's called the turtle. And you guys know what the turtle is? Yeah, the turtle is like, well, you just kind of like, you just hold yourself, right? Like a turtle. So I tried, right? And I was like, you know, making some progress. And they're like, no, no, Billy, like, you got to kick your legs up higher, right? I don't know why they said that, because you don't really have to kick your legs up high at all when you do the turtle. So I was like, oh, okay. So I just pushed myself off the ground. I threw my knees and my legs as high as up I could. And then my legs came crashing down to the concrete straight on my toes, and then I heard something pop. Nobody else did, because they were just laughing about how I couldn't do it, right? And I was like, guys, I think something happened. And they're like, no, 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 it's fine. You, you, everything's okay. And I was like, no, no, guys, something's seriously wrong. So I taking my, started taking my shoes off, and they're all shaming me. Oh, it's smelly. It's stinky. Oh, don't do that, right? And I take my socks off, and my index toe is like this. I thought it was kind of humorous, right? I was like, man, like I have a battle scar now to show for my trying, right? I mean, but it was like, it was painful and it was kind of scary because I've never seen my body in positions like that before, right? 
Now, like, you know, I don't know what it was, right? But that day, there were no specialists that were able to see me. So we, like, my mom picked me up from summer school, and we're just, like, driving around. We're calling different doctors to see who can, who can put my dislocated toe back in place, okay? Now, like, we're, like, I'm, like, oh, my gosh, my toe must be so jacked up. It's so bad. And this thing, this thing needs to be restored. And, like, finally, like, after we call all these places, we find an ER where they have, like, a foot specialist, right? And so we make our way there, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, they're going to have to operate. They're going to have to do all of these things. Well, he looks at my toe and he goes, oh, it's not that bad. And I'm like, well, it's not bad. It's like this, you know. But all he did was click, click. And my toe was back in good shape. I mean, it hurt so, it hurt so bad, you know, when you put a dislocated bone back into joint, right? See, but when I hear Paul talk about this idea of restoring, I get what he's saying. It's good pain. It hurts when someone has to approach you and say, hey, bro, hey, sis, I don't think it's okay what you're going through right now. I'd like to help. I'd like to offer my services. And it might be painful when you engage the areas where you're tangled up. But to carry one another's burdens in the context of sin means that we have to come close to one another. We have to allow someone to actually reach in where our bones are out of joint so that they can offer a helping hand to put those things back into place. But you see, it's a good pain, though, because when they come in gently, I'm so thankful for that physician, right? He wasn't like, oh, your toe's messed up here. Come on. All right, we're going to tie a string to it, and we're just going to yank the door so that it comes back together, right? It's not harsh, right? It was like, he was like, it's going to be okay. You know, doctors, they love tricking you like this, right? It's okay. It's right. <laughs> what Paul is saying is that when we bear one another's burdens, we're often entering into areas of a person's life where they don't like to expose it. The first thing that we need to then carry in our spirits is a spirit of gentleness. Now, I think we got this term rebuke, like, really jacked up, right? Sometimes people talk about, oh, I'm going to go rebuke that guy, right? And they're so excited, right? Like, ha, 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 I'm going to tell that person how wrong they are, everything that they've done, so that they get it put him in his place, right? Well, let me tell you, rebuke is actually a sweet, sweet provision that God has given to his body. I learned about the spirit of rebuke through that man who's sitting at the back of the room. I can't tell you how many times, right? I mean, you know, I'm a pretty refined 31-year-old now today, amen? Yeah, it's taking you too long to say that, okay? <laughs> but when I was way back young and lost in my ways as a 21-year-old, right? I can't tell you how many times Pastor Jeff came into my life and he would just, I didn't know he was even rebuking me. You know, he would, he would bring me along and go, hey, Billy, how are you doing? You know, when a pastor starts asking questions like, how are you doing? It's dangerous, okay? There's an agenda behind that, okay? <laughs> how are you doing? He's like, I'm like, yeah, I'm doing great, Pastor Jeff. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's awesome, you know? And then, like, he'd be like, so what do you think about, um, you know, what took place? this past week and it's like ambiguous you don't know if he's going to congratulate you or if he's going to take it the other way right <laughs> i'm bold <laughs> and you just go well yeah you know Billy, i just i was just praying and thinking and i wonder if maybe maybe it could have been done differently right and i'm like oh yeah you're right pastor jeff yeah thanks for that and i'll go home right 
And I'll like be talking about it with my friends and be like, dude, you got rebuked. I'm like, that's a rebuke? I felt encouraged. And in fact, when you think about the heart of what a rebuke is, it is to encourage that brother or sister to get back on the right path. That's what restoration is. It hurts where you have to meet the issue, but the process doesn't always have to be so hurtful as we're carrying each other, as we're bearing one another's burdens. I think that's why Paul, especially into this legalistic culture, where it's all about your worth being what you could show for. Your level of spirituality depends on how much you outwardly display your degrees and your levels of holiness. But Paul doesn't say restore them as you break their bones even more. No, he says put it together. Be gentle in that process. He's jabbing at these Judaizers who are coming in and saying, what's wrong with you guys? You don't know how to do this? Oh my gosh, you, you are not on our level. You're not on God's level. If you want to get to God's level, then you better do all these things. They didn't even come in operating in that spirit of gentleness. Often we know in our spirits that we're not being gentle. When we look at someone who's in sin, and I'm sure we can all relate to some degree, right? How come they just don't get it? I mean, how, how many times do they have to hear before they change? See, when we assume and we think in terms of how they ought to be, we have a tendency not to operate in gentleness. We have a tendency to operate partially with those people. So these Judaizers, even the way that they built up these laws, they say, remove yourself from the unclean. Don't get around them. Don't eat what they eat. Don't look the way they look. But what Paul says is quite the opposite. No. Get in close, guys. In fact, remember, that's why he even rebuked Peter. Peter, why do you remove yourself? Why do you distance yourself from these people, the Gentiles? No. You got to get in close. Not to point, but to carry and to bear one another's burdens. So Paul continues on. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. How is bearing one another's burdens fulfilling the law of Christ? Because when we think about fulfilling the law, what do we often think? I just got to be more holy. I just got to be a better person. I got to stop sinning. I got to read more Bible. We tend to think in terms of external things. But what Paul is getting at is think of the ministry of Christ in your life. How did Christ use and express and even leverage his holiness to bear our burdens? He leaned in. He brushed shoulders with sinful man so that he could take on their sin, our sins, on the cross. To fulfill the law of Christ is not just an individual matter where it's about my holiness, my gain, my strengthening of my faith. See, in fact, the goal of all of these things is that we'd be a blessing unto those who still have yet to receive the blessings of God. In fact, that was even the initial call of Israel. Israel's great rebuke when Jesus came onto earth, onto the scene during his ministry, was you have failed to be a blessing unto your neighbors. You have failed to love them. What's fascinating is that even after Jesus had done all that he did and he resurrected and he ascended into heaven, the community still has a way of falling back into tendencies of legalism and control. 
I think it's this. I think sometimes we have a hard time bearing one another's burdens because we enjoy the feeling of superiority. It's hard sometimes, right, to be involved in the lives of those that we think are less desirable, less holy, unapproachable. And yet Christ says, was that the way that I was unto you? So we have to be gentle. To be gentle means we have to lay down even our own expectations, our own standards of ourselves and imposing those on others. And in fact, that's the next topic that Paul brings up. The second need that he begins to talk about is the need for sober self-judgment. Everyone say self-judgment. Okay, notice, I did not say self-condemnation, okay? I'm not talking about looking at yourself and saying, I'm the worst person in the world. I'm talking about sober self-judgment, realistically looking at where you are. Where do I get this from? Look at verses 3 and on. Paul says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. So Paul's saying this, you know, it is right and it is good to bear one another's burdens. Again, that's the general principle. It doesn't have to be just when someone is in sin. But the general overall principle that Paul is highlighting is that we need to be a people. We need to be a community who have received the love of Christ that has freed us from sin, that has freed us from the law, so that we can accomplish Christ's law of loving our neighbors in the way that he has loved us. But to do that, right, you can't just walk into anyone and say, hey, 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 come on, come on. Let's get it together, right? Let's get it together. Why don't, you get, why don't you start just acting better, right? You need something along the way. And that's this thing called sober self-judgment. And in particular, the idea that Paul brings up here is this idea of credibility. Someone say credibility. Look back. He says, again, verse 3, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So how do you understand? How do you even measure credibility as you look at yourself? Well, verse 4, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. When Paul says, but let each one test his own work, he's saying this. Lay out the lot that God has given you. What is God addressing in your life right now? It doesn't have to be the same issues and the same needs that everyone else is going through. No, but, but just what's your lot right now? Just think about it for a moment. Think about the challenges that the Holy Spirit is stirring up in your own heart and in your own life in this very present moment. And God, through Paul, is saying, you test yourself by seeing how you are doing with the assignments that God has placed right in front of you. And to the degree that you are faithful, again, not perfect, but faithful to applying the challenges that God has given in front of you, Paul says, you have reason to boast. Now, boast doesn't mean, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Look at me. I'm acing it. I'm perfect. I'm the best. I'm dope. Come on now. Come on, somebody. Give me a clap, right? That's not what Paul is saying. When he talks about this idea of boasting, again, he's just saying you have reason to just find in that moment a sense of realistic confidence through the credibility that you have built in your process with God. You can't just be a mess, right, and walk up to someone and be like, hey, 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 do what I tell you to do. Come on. Because it's right. It's in Scripture. Right? What do we, if you walk up to people like that, people can call you out. You're a hypocrite, right? 
But it's different when someone goes, man, I'm just trying. I'm not getting it right every time, but I'm trying. You want to come along together? Can we go on this journey together? There's credibility when you go about it that way, when you bear one another's burdens, not by standing over someone, but as you come alongside, right? Let each one test his own work, and then his reason will be to boast in himself and not in his neighbor. I love that Paul addresses it so specifically like that. Because we love comparing ourselves, do we not? How many times in my own life have I found myself in some sort of sin? And I think about the worst person I could think about. Sometimes I don't even try, right? I go, oh, yeah, yeah, but there's that guy. <laughs> I mean, praise God, I'm not like that guy, you know? Oh, dude, so many problems, so many issues. Oh, Jesus, thank you so much that you've made me like this. And I begin to sound more like the example that Jesus gave, right? The Pharisee, the religious person who's on the street, who goes, Lord, thank you that you have made me so much more holy and righteous than they. Versus the one who is on the side, unseen and unknown, on his knees, beating his chest, saying, Lord, have mercy on a sinner like me. Paul says, what do you gain by comparing yourself to someone else? That only affirms this false performance standard that you operate by. It exposes that in you. It exposes that in us. So the question that Paul asks here is, what's your measure? Not your measure of whether you're saved or not, or how holy you are or not, but just what's your measure of credibility in the community? Do you say, well, I, I read more than that person? Oh, I went out to morning prayer, but I didn't see them there. Oh, I evangelized, but oh, man, what, what are they doing? Or do you just spend time looking in front of the Lord and saying, God, am I doing all right with you? God, how do you feel about me today, right? I wonder if we spent more time. This is, this is the irony, right? I find that communities begin to draw closer together. We begin to bear one another's burdens when we have the honesty and the vulnerability to come together and say, man, in my walk with the Lord, these are the areas that I'd love to get stronger in. This is where I'm weak. These are where my needs are. Can you come alongside and help me? You know, when, when a community begins to address one another in that way, versus you come together in small group and say, well, what are you going through? How can I, how can I help you? But when you begin by saying, here's how you can be community unto me. See, but we need sober self-judgment for that process. Again, I want to say once again, self-judgment, right, does not mean you judge yourself unto condemnation, right? Oh, I'm so bad. I'm the worst person. I don't deserve anything, and so I'm just going to go into a hole. That's not what I'm saying. But sober self-judgment is recognizing Jesus already loves me. He loved me when I was at my worst. doesn't get much worse than when we didn't know him. He's not going to love me anymore when I think I'm at my best. So let's put this performance thing where it belongs. To be holy and to act holy is just to exercise my sonship in him. I don't get more of his love out of it because I already have all of it. But to observe and understand where I am with God in this present moment is a place 
where I can allow the credibility of God to steward whatever he wants me to as we bear one another's burdens in community. So we need sober self-judgment. The last thing I want to address is this. We need to recognize the common burden that we all face. You guys know that as a community and as a people? We all have a common burden. And it's this. It's the burden that speaks out of every one of our hearts and our souls that says, if you really knew what I'm like or what I'm struggling with, you wouldn't enjoy being around me. Isn't that true? Isn't that why church is sometimes so scary? Because people think that this is the place where saints, people who have become right, who are constantly expressing themselves as right, join together. But Jesus describes the church not as a hall of fame where saints are enshrined, but he describes it as a hospital where the sick come, where the sick gather. See, but I think the common burden that we all face is the burden and perhaps even the lie that says you won't be accepted if they really know who you are. You won't be allowed in truly if they really knew who you were. You know, our community has gone through a lot over the past few months. And I think one of the things that God really wants to address as we really understand and as we really grapple with this idea of covenant community and covenant family. You see, the idea of covenant doesn't come from the idea of perfection. That's not where it's rooted. The idea of covenant is what I call the staying with power. You see, in the staying with power of God and the community and the people of God doesn't show up when everyone's just perfect all the time. You know, it's really easy to be with perfect people, right? Because you have no reason to leave them. They always give you what, what you want. You always give them what you want. Everything's perfect. Everything's great. Everything's dandy. Everything is clean. Church is not clean, friends. It's messy. Church is like dirty laundry hanging around everywhere, right? And we show up together and we say, let's all stink together. <laughs> Feels like that sometimes, right? I described it this way with one of my friends once when we were talking, right? Church is kind of like where everyone brings their dirty laundry and we just learn to embrace it together before we hand it off to the one who makes it clean, who makes us clean. See, but sometimes in a performance-oriented culture and in a performance-oriented setting, vulnerability is out of the question. You can't be vulnerable because the moment you begin to expose your weakness or you expose your lack or you expose your need, you're seen as weak. But I find that funny because what Paul says, he says in 1 Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians, he says, no, but when I'm weak, he's strong. I think God has given us one another, not so that we can become this surface community where we just deal with each other cute. Oh, good to meet you, sister. You look fabulous. Welcome to church. Hey, bro. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, sometimes as far as our conversations might go, like, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know about you, but sometimes I sweat during church. I sweat 
when I'm in places of covenant and when covenant is tested. See, the idea of a covenant community and the covenant family of God is not that everything is perfect, but it asks the question, will you still be here when everything there is about to know about me is exposed in front of you? Will you still be here with me when you have seen everything there is to see? That's what makes acceptance powerful. That's what makes the gospel, that's what makes what Jesus did so, so powerful in our own lives. When we measure one another by deeds, righteousness, and acts, and measures our holiness, the lie begins to seep in. We cannot, God cannot stand who you are. He won't deal with you. I won't deal with you. We won't deal with you. He can't stand who you are. But friends, God can stand who you are. Because he stood his son on a cross for us. He stood his son on a cross so that he would stand for us for all eternity. He is our savior and Lord. Lift it up so that his life could be the leverage that shoulders now our burdens on his own. And because Christ stood for us, we stand for one another. To be like Christ then, friends, means we lean in to one another as he has leaned in to us. So that as we lean in and you listen, you hear the voices of the broken and the hurting in our community. And friends, let me be real. Look at, look at people around you right now. Just take a look. Wow, it looks so good. Oh my gosh, you're still put together, right? Nice outfit, smiles, and happy and dandy. But I'll tell you this. You ask them, how are you doing? No, really, really, how are you doing? And you begin to go down the layers, and you will find that no matter how much we make ourselves presentable come Sunday, there's a lot of stuff down there. The question is not, can you stand one another when you show up on a Sunday? The question is, can you stand with one another when guts, when heart, when darkness, when pain is strewn out all in front of you? I think this is arguably one of the greatest lessons that I've had to learn over the years, not just as a pastor, but as a human. I've shared with you guys before, right? I think one of the paradigms that I've carried in my life because of my relationship with my dad is that I'm only as good as what I could offer. Performance, right? And these things. And so, like, you know, when you subtly have that as a mentality in your life and you become a pastor, it can be disastrous, right? Because I might say, oh, yeah, grace to everyone else, grace to everyone else, grace to everyone else. Yeah, it's all good, it's all good. But for me, I'm like, I got to be perfect. I can't have an issue or a need. Because I gotta be there for the people. I gotta be someone. I gotta be something unto you. Man, but God really brought this to a hedge when me and Daisy's pregnancy issue came up. We were really wrestling. Man, God, here's a burden. Here's a need that we really have. But we had no clue how to even share this burden. Because we thought, oh my gosh, as pastors, we have to have it together. As leaders in the community, we have to be the ones to be like, 
We had a problem, but you know what? We fixed it with God on our own. So you do the same. Right? We, we thought that that was the way that we had to go about it. The way that God began to break down that paradigm, that understanding of what it means to share your burden with one another, it began like in our staff community. People asking, what are you really going through? Oh, yeah. You give the pastoral answer, right? Oh, yeah, like, um, yes, uh, you know, my intimacy with the Lord. Yeah, you know, I just, like, you can always bring up your intimacy with the Lord, and you seem whole. It's like holy enough where it's like, whoa, yeah, well, that's a holy issue, right? You know what I'm talking about? And then everyone in the circles is like, oh, yeah, good for you. Yeah, wow. But you know when people really begin to care, and they go, no, 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 quiet. What are you really going through? I'm scared that we're never going to have a kid. And let me tell you, that fear is rooted in areas of performance. I feel like God is punishing me because I haven't done enough. I feel like I just have to work harder. I feel like I'm not allowed to expose these things. So, you know, the pastoral staff were the first line of defense, the first line of God's provision to begin to pray for us and to speak into us. But, you know, it's like your intimate, intimate community. So we're like, okay, yeah, we know you guys already love us anyway. You know, you have to love us because I work with you, you know. You could assume that, right? And so, you know, we're kind of in the season of praying and, like, still asking. But there was really a huge moment where we were at a college retreat, you know, and Pastor Daisy and I, you know, we're, like, leading the retreat you know, at retreat time, you got to up your holy game, right? Like prayer leading, right? Like your decibels have to increase by 10, right? Like if on Sundays you go, like, let's pray, right? You go, let's pray. <laughs> Guys, let's go for it, right? And, you know, you're doing the whole ministry time thing. And, you know, at this particular retreat, you know, a good, one of my good pastoral uh, pastor buddies, you know, he was our guest speaker and he came in. And, like, you know, my friend, he's, like, very, like, open. He's very progressive. And he's all about, like, let's go for it type of guy, right? And so he knew all the stuff that I was going through. And his message on the first night was very much something like this, about the need for the community to come, to, to come together in this very vulnerable and raw way. So, you know, like, he did his message. I'm like, yeah, good message, you know, ministry time. Yeah, you know, all you guys need to learn how to be vulnerable, right? And just as when we were about to close the first night, right? You know, first night, you kind of keep it easy, right? Because you got to build the momentum, right? For the last night when all the chuyos and repentance and, like, you know, crying happens, Right? But first night, my friend grabs the mic back right as we're about to dismiss, and he goes, um, also, guys, um, right now, Pastor Billy, because he wants to model true community, he has something to tell you right now. <laughs> it's like retreat. It's like so, sh I'm like, I was like so ashamed, right? I wanted to punch him, all right? Really, I, I, he was like saying it, and I just looked at him like this, right? You know, students are sitting there, right? It's like over 100 students at this retreat. He's right here, and I'm just looking at him like. <laughs> and I look at Pastor Daisy, right? Because, like, I need her permission. Because I could just kill it, right? <laughs> yeah, um, this is what I have to say. Yeah, God bless you. Have a good night, right? <laughs> we just felt the nudge of the Spirit. Just tell them. Like, but I didn't want to tell them, right, because I'm supposed to be here. And they're like, you know, my students, like my, you know, these poor students, they're like, they need the ministry of God through me, right? But all of a sudden, God starts speaking. If you can't be vulnerable to them, how will they ever learn? 
the vulnerability of my son, Christ, on the cross. So I shared very reluctantly. Yeah, um, we've been trying to get pregnant. Awkward, right? Um, And it hasn't been working. We have a lot of fears. And, you know, as you guys break off into your groups, we would appreciate your prayers. I thought we were just going to close the night. I can't tell you how in that moment, so many of our students that we had given so much of our ministry to were now returning the ministry back onto us. Really, I feel like, I feel like my, our time with the staff, being vulnerable with them, and our time with our students, being vulnerable with them, and then our time, all right, this extended even further where we had to be vulnerable with the entire English ministry. That we would actually be in a position where someone would be willing to carry our burdens to come alongside us. Students began to cry. Pastor Billy, Pastor Jay-Z, we had no idea. We didn't know. We want to pray for you. We had students who then began committing themselves to prayer for this. All because we just said, let's take a shot. Let's go for it. Let's be vulnerable. Let's be weak. See, in performance-oriented cultures, I know, it's hard to be weak because you could be judged for that. But if we're going to begin to walk towards a community coming around grace, someone's got to take that step. We got to take that step. We got to move in that way and not let it cost anything. See, because when you expose your weakness, you're not sharing something that's not there. You're just bringing out into the light what's already been down there for God knows how long. And you are now giving the other person an opportunity to say, I stand with you. I'm for you. I'm with you at this time.